When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, Langer in the Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh, Julie, and Josh. It is an exciting week in the sports world as we have the NFL draft rapidly approaching this Thursday. As you're hearing this, it is probably tomorrow, so we are right up against it. It is finally here. The NFL draft is upon us. Yeah, I'm excited. I've had a, a countdown going on for seemingly a month. I've gone on, uh, I don't know if you do this, Gene, I go on PFF and do the mock draft simulator for my team um i'm just i'm neck deep in and i'm really excited for this and all the other stuff we have to talk about yeah, for sure, and I don't. I don't know if it's just because I'm a I'm a Giants fan, and our drafts have been so terrible for the last years that this year this year's draft just doesn't seem to have the same oomph as it usually does. I don't know if it's a, no, I don't want to say a lack of star power, but there isn't like the true like you know top five clear guys that like everyone wants. I feel like it's kind of a a mixed bag at the top. While there is a lot of talent, but it just feels like you know this draft is a bit different. I don't know if that's just because of the, the team I'm a fan of, or if that's you know if you feel a similar sentiment with the way you know your team goes. No, I think that's fair. You know, I think that the the intrigue is high but the profiles of all the players are not if that makes sense like i think we could see a lot of trades um but from a talent perspective you're lacking the like superstar quarterbacks you don't really have a running back in this class i mean Brees hall is a really good back and he could go at the end of the first round but he's not like that huge name and so i think that a lot of your better players are in the interior. It's linebackers, it's DBs. The wide receiver class is, is outstanding, but the the draft is kind of, it, it grabs attention due to like its highest profile players. And when you're lacking a quarterback or a running back or something like that with, you know, a name like, you know, g- give me, um, any, any like big name quarterback, Justin Fields or somebody like that, um, I, I don't think that the common fan gets into it as much. But for a football junkie, I still think it's going to be a really good and interesting draft. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair point. You know, it's probably just really the, the lacking of a quarterback draft is not a particularly strong one. But we will talk about all of that in a little bit. Before we get to that, there is some Ohio State little news and notes here to, to kind of clean up and get along with uh, on both the football field and on the basketball court. And uh, most of it is, is within the transfer portal. So we'll start with the football team here. 
Um, as you know, there has been you know a lot of lot of transfers in and out of the program lately. Um, Ohio State working to get down to that eighty five man scholarship unit. Um, just this past week, we've had a couple of new names enter the transfer portal. Uh, two of them in the last couple of days being Andre Tarantine and Marcus Hooker, both safeties. Um, you know, Hooker was a guy that obviously the last name, uh, the, the brother of, of Malik Hooker, a lot of kind of expectations there, probably unfairly, a guy that really never caught on in the defensive backfield. And then Tarantine was a guy that I, you know, was kind of high on. A former four-star prospect. I think he was a bit banged up in the last year or so. But, you know, Ohio State could potentially use at least one of these guys with all the safety spots opening up. I don't think either of them were, you know, primed to play a ton in, in 2022, as it were. But two names in the safety room that have both entered the portal in addition to uh, defensive end Noah Potter, uh, who was also in the transfer portal. Kind of a little bit of a surprise there. He missed all of 2021 with an eye injury that nearly cost him his sight. So kind of a cool story to see him playing in the spring game. He actually had a really good spring game. Um, but same kind of deal with him. No clear path to playing time with a pretty loaded room. Uh, so three new names in the transfer portal. Um, not not a ton of surprises. Not none of, none of them guys that were really going to play any significant snaps in 2022. But you know, guys that will probably find uh, significant roles elsewhere. Elsewhere, hopefully for them. Yeah, I think so. I think they're all talented in their own right. You know, Marcus Hooker was probably the lowest recruit, or he was definitely the lowest rated recruit, and he's a grad guy, so he's got less time to work with, but I was mildly surprised, I guess, by the announcements of Turrentine and Potter, just because if you watch the spring game, I mean, Andre Turrentine played the most snaps of any Ohio State player in the spring game, and Noah Potter played really well. He was credited with two sacks, four or five tackles, if I'm not mistaken, so, you know, I think the the impact will be minimal, but these guys seemed like they were maybe coming on and could earn some rotational roles. And um, for Turrentine specifically, like, you know, Ohio State's going to run out three safeties most of the time, right? And the one deep is pretty much set. The two deep is probably pretty much set. And I don't think Turrentine was on either. But if you look at next year, Josh Proctor's gone. Tanner McAllister is gone. Ronnie Hickman could be gone. So then you're like, okay, he could really creep into the rotation. So I guess I was mildly surprised by that, but these guys want to go and play and they weren't, they didn't see that opportunity here. So, you know, no ill will towards any of these guys. We've talked about that before. And in all three of these guys' cases that you mentioned, you know, they've been here, they put in the time, they worked with the team and it just wasn't happening. You know, I get a little more frustrated, I guess, when a freshman commits and he's gone a year later and it's like, hey, you didn't give it any time. You didn't give it a chance. You didn't work on your game or get a chance to develop things like that. But these guys all had a couple of years in the program or turn team, maybe just the one, but they tried to work their way up the depth chart. They didn't see an avenue to playing time this year. And so they're going to go look for that opportunity elsewhere. And I don't think you can really blame them. No, for sure. No ill will towards any of them. And if you look at, you know, kind of this offseason in general for Ohio State and their transfers, uh, you look at some of the guys that have left and, and where they've ended up. You look at a, a legend Cavazos that just ended up at UNC, a Bryson Shaw at USC, uh, you know, Seven Banks at LSU, Ryan Watts at Queen Uris to Texas, Jack Miller to Florida. You look at a lot of these guys that have transferred and they're finding roles at other, you know, good power five schools. It's not like they're all just leaving and ending up in the Mac or the American. They're leaving and going to other good schools and show it kind of it, it kind of shows the the level of talent, the level of skill players Ohio State has that 
some of these guys that maybe didn't fit in schematically or, or weren't quite up to the task of playing in Columbus are finding significant roles at other really big schools. And it's good to see that these guys are getting, you know, a second chance to compete at the power five level, compete at the highest level in college football. And maybe they could resurrect their careers there. Maybe it's a better scheme fit. Maybe the coaches will use them to their better abilities. But I like to see that these guys are not just, you know, they're not just leaving Ohio State and going to all play at, at Toledo or Akron. They're going to play at other big power five schools. And hopefully they'll all get an opportunity to to kind of shine. Because like you said, you know, no ill will towards these guys. These guys know better than us whether, you know, how close they are to playing time or not. And so if there's better talent ahead of them and they feel that they could go play elsewhere, it's good to see that they're getting opportunities to do so at places they're going to have good exposure. Are you at all surprised by that? You know, because typically what we'll see is at least some of these guys, some of these transfers, whether it's from Ohio State or another school, they will go and look for you know, air quotes, a guaranteed opportunity, right? They might go look at a Mac or uh, an American athletic conference school, something like that. But all of these Ohio state transfers, like you mentioned, they've gone to these big P five schools. And I look at a guy like seven banks. I mean, he had, let's face it, a, a really tough year. And he went to LSU, which they also had a tough year last year as a team, but they're still one of those, kind of upper tier, upper echelon teams. Look at a guy like Ryan Watts. Texas has all this hype behind them. Even Bryson Shaw, who I know you and I have both been down on at times, but going to USC with Lincoln Riley there and with the transfers they've got, um, a a hype train going on there in uh, California. I, I am a bit surprised that these guys have all ended up at Power 5 schools, the lowest, I guess, tier team. Uh, where an Ohio State player is transferred is probably Cormonte Hamilton going to Memphis, but Memphis is a, a school that makes noise from time to time. So that part intrigues me a little bit. Yeah, and Memphis is like close to Cormonte Hamilton's home, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So that was more of a hometown move. Uh, we saw a guy like Dallas Gant go to Toledo. Um, you know, Craig Young wound up at Kansas, which is a Power Five school, but you know, we know what Kansas is, even though they're a little more up and coming than I'd say they have been in last years. But they're still Kansas at the end of the day. So some of those more, you know, guaranteed starting roles we've seen, even if it is a, a lower Power Five school. But yeah, it is a bit surprising to see. You know, I don't know if if Seven Banks is going to start from day one LSU. I don't know what their current uh, defensive backfield looks like. They're obviously losing Stingley to the draft this year, so they're going to need at least one new guy in that rotation. Um, you know, a guy like Legend Cavazos. Struggled a bit at Ohio State this year. Maybe he has a, a good path to playing time at UNC. I'm not, you know, I'm not up to date on UNC's defensive backfield either. Uh, Bryson Shaw at USC is interesting. The only thing I know about their defensive backfield is that they employ Alex Grinch. So good luck on that front. Uh, but yeah, it, it is it is a bit surprising. But like I said, you know, it just shows the the level of talent that Ohio State has. That these guys that maybe you know didn't fit their system or, or weren't quite up to the task could go to another school of that caliber and still feel like they have a chance to make some noise. So. You know, I like it. Obviously, you know, with a with a situation like a Quinn Ewers or a Jack Miller, a little bit of a different situation with a you know one quarterback on the field at a time and, and you know only one clear path to playing time. So I think those situations are a bit different. But at the end of the day, you know, this none of these guys that have left, other than I would say a Quinn Ewers, are really guys that were probably going to have any real playing time at Ohio State or any significant starting minutes for that matter. But that doesn't mean they're not good players. It doesn't mean they can't have good careers elsewhere. And we'll you know we'll continue to wish them the best moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think if I were if I was higher on anybody from this group than the others, I would think maybe uh, Legend Cavazos has a chance at UNC. He, like you mentioned, he was banged up and he got in there at times. I, I still think he has a really high ceiling. But as for the rest, uh, gosh, I, I'm not sure. Um, maybe Ryan Watts, who I was really high on, uh, 
previous to last season or prior to last season. So we'll see what he can do at UT. But I, I think you and I are both in agreement that the impact is probably minimal here. And let's face it, at the end of the day, Ohio State needed to sort of lose some guys to get down to their scholarship number. And I think they even have one open now. So maybe they look back at the transfer portal too for an offensive lineman or, or something like that. But all in all, I think both parties probably win with all of these announcements, even though, you know, we're seeing some guys that we previously liked move on to to other destinations. Yeah, I really liked guys like Craig Young and Ryan Watts. Maybe, you know, one of them could have had a an impact on Ohio State, but, you know, we'll, we'll never know at this point. And like you said, the open spot, uh, I would not be at all surprised if Ohio State looks to get some sort of veteran offensive lineman. There's not a ton of depth in that room right now. While the starters appear to be very good and, and solid, there's not a ton behind them, so that wouldn't be at all surprising. But, Switching over to basketball, um, Ohio State didn't have as many transfers out on the basketball roster. That is, you know, makes sense considering there's only you know 12 or so guys on that roster. But the two guys that have left, Justin Arns and Michi Johnson, I don't believe Justin Arns has found a new location yet. But Michi Johnson just committed to South Carolina, so we have a new uh, spot for him as well. Another guy that's you know tra- transferring to another Power Five school and getting a chance to play there. Ohio State's roster kind of coming into fruition a little bit here. Kind of we're rounding out a bit of what we're going to see next season. They've had two players transfer into the program in Tanner Holden and Sam McNeil. Uh, Holden's a guy that we've talked about a bit so far. Kid from Wheelersburg, you know, averaged 20.7 rebounds and 2.6 assists per game at Wright State last year. Uh, six foot six, 185 pound guard will likely play the two, but could handle the ball a little bit. And then you have Sam McNeil, who I think is a bit of a surprising ad. I don't think a ton of people saw that one coming. Uh, he's a guard out of West Virginia, averaged a little over 12 points and, you know, uh, over a, an assist per game with the Mountaineers, uh, career 37% three point shooter. Not really a pure point guard either, but probably, uh, you know, more of a backup to a guy like Bruce Thornton that I know you just wrote about recently, the freshman point guard coming in that everyone expects to start. And then on top of those guys, you have Justice Suing and Seth Towns returning, plus the incoming star freshman class. So we're starting to learn a little bit more about this Ohio State roster. There's still pro- there's there's one spot open, still one scholarship spot up for grabs. So I would imagine that they'll still add a transfer. Ohio State's been pretty much rumored to be in on every single transfer that's left every single school in the country. So we'll see how that plays out but we're starting to see you know a little bit more of what this roster will look like and we're starting to kind of get a feel for what the Buckeyes are going to look like in in 2022-2023. Yeah for sure and just one little correction Gene it's Sean McNeil from West Virginia Um, and and he's another guy I'm excited about I, I don't know that Ohio State needed another wing or a two guard but I think that they are going to need his skill set um he was a shooter for West Virginia. He's been a shooter going back to his day. He spent a year at JUCO in Dayton, uh, and he actually put up 30 points per game in the JUCO rank. So, you know, he's a guy who can fill it up a little bit. He was West Virginia's second leading scorer. He put up 12 points a game over three seasons at West Virginia. He thought he shot 37% from three on nearly five attempts per game. Didn't get to the line a ton, but knocked down 86% of his free throws. So, when you look at what Ohio State, one of the things they were lacking last year was a, a real consistent outside shooter. We thought that that was going to be Justin Arns, and, and he struggled throughout the year. McNeil might fill that role, the role that we thought Arns was going to finish uh, to fill last season. So I, I think he's a good add, but I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit concerned about the makeup, just because you look at 
you know, the situation right now, Zed Key is quote unquote, your only center. Uh, and he's six nine. He plays below the rim. He's, he's definitely smaller than some of your other um, bigger guys. You see in the big 10, like a Hunter Dickinson or, or Zach Eady at Purdue. So I think they're lacking depth there. And I know that they're lacking depth at point guard. That's what I'm writing about. And it'll come up tomorrow. Bruce Thornton is the only point guard on this roster and he has never played college basketball. I think he's a future star. I really like his game, but we have seen Ohio state basketball struggle with point guard depth under Chris Holtman. Uh, He has gone to the transfer portal or the transfer market a number of times. He brought in CJ Jackson, CJ Walker, Jamari Wheeler, and You know, we saw last year when Wheeler was not at the top of his game or he was out of the game for whatever reason, Michi Johnson was the only backup. He struggled all year, and the offense would sometimes grow stagnant when defenses were blitzing EJ Liddell or Malachi Branham, and they didn't have a a tertiary ball handler or a secondary ball handler behind Jamari Wheeler. So I'm a little concerned there because I think that a lot of their wings – can handle the ball. I think we saw Justice Suing uh, take care of the ball two years ago for Ohio State. I'm sure Tanner Holden and Sean McNeil can do a couple things, but they don't have an assist assist guy on this roster. They don't have a floor general beyond Bruce Thornton. So I am I, I'm starting to think that point guard is a little bit of a blind spot for Chris Holdman. Do you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. And I do. Yeah. Apologies to Sean McNeil. I was, I was talking to my supervisor, my other job, whose name is Sam. And I think I just wrote that in there at the time. But yes, it is <laughs> Sean McNeil. But yeah, I, I think that point guard, you know, especially from what we've seen in Ohio State these past couple of years, where they tend to have these slip ups late in games where they can't seem to move the ball very well. A lot of that comes down to point guard play. And like you said, when it was when you, Jamari Wheeler was struggling, there wasn't anyone behind him to help out. And it looks like it's going to be kind of a similar deal this year. And now you're trusting that position to a, a freshman guard who, you know, by all accounts is going to be very, very good. But it's a lot of pressure to put on a freshman like Bruce Thornton. And, you know, they also have another guard in Roddy Gale coming in, but he's more of a scorer. Um, in terms of size, you will have Felix Opara coming in, who's 6'11", but once again, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of pressure to put on a, a freshman to be your kind of second line or even first line center with Zed Key. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting roster, interesting roster composition. Um, it'll be, you know, I, I wonder if they'll go out and try to get another true point guard to back up those guys as their, their final roster spot in the transfer portal. Um, Dean, yeah, I want to give you up. the, uh, sorry, I want to give you the names of Ohio State's backup point guards. Uh, during the Chris Holtman era. You ready for this? This, this so, isn't going to be pretty. Andrew Dockich, Keyshawn Woods, but he was sort of a combo guard, a in my guard. opinion. Yeah. Right, right. Um, Michi Johnson, Jimmy Sotos, and then if you want to include DJ Carton, 2018-2019 was the only year where they really had two bona fide point guards. They had CJ Walker and DJ Carton that year, but he left after one season. So, you know... I, I don't know that Ohio State needs a uh, a situation like look at the the Dallas Mavericks. I was just watching one of their playoff games. Luka Doncic is a forward, but he handles the ball. Then they've got Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't think Ohio State needs that, but to have some depth is is very important. And you you run down that list of guys that I just gave you, all kind of serviceable players but they all had a very minimal role. And so 
I, I hope that the Buckeyes don't find themselves in a similar situation this year, but on paper, it certainly seems like they're heading that direction. Yeah, and you're not looking for you know Ohio State to have two first-team All Big Ten guards lined up at the mm-hmm. point guard spot, but you do certainly need a guy uh, back there that's capable of of build, playing the backup position, especially when your starter is going to be you know all in all likelihood a freshman. And so it is going to be a little bit of an area of concern. But like you said, they have other guys in the roster who have some experience handling the ball. You know, Justice Suing is a guy that we've seen bring the ball up, even though he is at forward. Um, I'm excited to see, not not in terms of guard play, but just if they could get anything out of Seth Towns, a, a healthy Seth Towns. I'd love to see him, you know, end his collegiate career on a high note with all these injuries he's had. If he could provide even a little bit, even if it's off the bench for Ohio State this season, I'd love to see that. But... Overall, I mean, if everything comes together, uh, if the guard play isn't too hindered, if you know all these guys, you know, pan out the recruits and everything and all that nature, their transfers and whatnot, uh, I think this team could be pretty solid. And like you said, it is kind of a bit of a, a concerning composition right now. But if the pieces all fall in line, if they add maybe another guard through the transfer portal, and if all these guys play to their potential, I think Ohio State could could put together a pretty solid team with the roster they have. I agree, and you kind of hit it on the head. I like the pieces. The makeup is where I kind of question things, but. Uh, two through four, I think they're going to be really, really good. They've got a lot of guys who can score and, and they're versatile. So I think defensively they can match up pretty well against most teams, especially in the Big Ten. Center might be an issue. But, uh, you know, and then you look at the freshman coming in, Roddy Gale is like a complete unknown um, just because he's been banged up a little bit, but uh, a supreme scorer. And so if you get something from him too, you're talking about guys two through four who on any given night, any of them could give you 10, 15, 20 points a game in theory. So I think they'll be really good in the middle. They kind of have to fill out um, the edges, I would say, in the in the one and five spots. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited about the team. It's just, you know, I think where they failed is they didn't give a million dollars to Nigel Pack, right? So that was a guy they were going after. <laughs> he, he ended up in Miami, uh, you know, with some ludicrous NIL deal. But you can't blame Chris Holtman for chasing. He, they, Ohio State has been linked to just about every player in America who has put their name into the transfer portal. So it's not for lack of effort. They've just they've swung and missed on a, a couple of guards or point guards, but they have filled out the roster. Um, with the wings and, and things like that. So I do still think they're going to be good. I think they're going to score the ball really well, but can they take care of it and can they rebound? That's still TBD in my opinion. Yeah, if you have ever taken a, a shot in a collegiate basketball game, Ohio State is, is currently interested in you in the transfer portal. But nonetheless, like you said, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But as I said before, this is, you know, that that's going to be our, our Ohio State basketball portion of the podcast because, as I alluded to earlier, it is NFL Draft Week, and that's definitely what we want to get into right Let's now. Go. Absolutely. So Ohio State has seven entrants in this year's NFL Draft. I think we could probably go pretty much in order of the way that we think they're going to be selected, starting at the top and kind of moving our way through the rest of the draft order. Some guys maybe not getting as much love, but could still have really solid NFL careers and, and whatnot. So... I think if we're going to start at the top, we should start with everyone's favorite Ohio State draft prospect, and that is Garrett Wilson. Um, in my mind, he's probably the most complete wide receiver in this draft, and I know there's a lot of good talent in this draft. The wide receiver position is probably one of the most stacked in this year's draft. But you have a lot of guys that are kind of that kind of excel in one area. You know, you look at a guy like Jamison Williams, who's a pure speed burner guy. A guy like Drake London, who's that big-bodied end zone target. But I think that Wilson can really do it all. I think he's good during after and like you know before the catch 
a true three-level weapon. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, he's exceptional at creating space. He's very fluid in his motions. He's a great route runner. He's got great hands. Uh, I know heading into the draft, there were some questions about his athleticism, but then he ran a 4-3-8-40 and it kind of eliminated a lot of those concerns. And I don't know about you, Josh, but I, I think there's a chance that he could be kind of this year's Jamar Chase. And whether he has the kind of rookie season that Jamar Chase had uh, will be left up in the air. And I don't want to kind of put those kind of expectations on him because I think Chase kind of landed in the the perfect situation landing back with his college quarterback. But I, I do think Garrett Wilson has a chance to be every bit as good as a guy like Jamar Chase. Oh, boy. Um, as a Bengals fan, that's saying a lot. I, I love Jamar Chase. If I have, ever have another child and, and it's a boy, I think I'm thinking Jamar for a name. Um, I'm all in on is, Jamar Dooley. <laughs> he is special, but I, I will say, and I do agree, I think Garrett Wilson has a very, very, very high ceiling. I think a lot of it depends upon the position and health and things like that. He doesn't have the physicality uh, of a Jamar Chase, just as, as far as body makeup goes. But similar to Chase, I, I think you can use him in a number of different ways. I think he can play out of the slot. I think he can play outside. He can high point the ball. He's got the speed. He's good with the ball in his hand. So he can do a ton of things. And I really do think, and this is not my, my homerism speaking, I think that he is the safest wide receiver in this draft over Chris Olave, over Drake London, over anybody else. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I think he's got the the highest floor of any of these guys. And just looking through kind of the, the past Ohio State wide receiver draftees, you know, obviously the position's a lot different at Ohio State now, now that they're throwing the ball a lot more. But you look at guys like, you know, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin in recent years, I think Garrett Wilson has a chance to be the best of all of them. And that's saying a lot considering Michael Thomas is, you know, what is or as it was at one point the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. You know, Terry McLaurin was a guy who never really shined at Ohio State, but has gone on to have a fantastic career in Washington. You know, even a guy like Paris Campbell, who's been beat up by injuries, he was another big Ohio State NFL draft prospect. But I think that, you know, coming into this draft, for sure, you know, Wilson is more highly touted than any of those guys were coming out of college. Um, and, I, and I think that he's more well-rounded right now of the player than any of those guys were coming out of Ohio State, just because of the way the position has changed and the way that, you know, the offense was very similar to an NFL offense, unlike how it was when guys like Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin were at Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, coming out, he certainly has the highest profile. And I think about those other guys you mentioned, uh, I would never, ever slander, can't guard Mike or scary Terry. But you look at their situations, Michael Thomas, I think some of his production is due to the fact that he played with Drew Brees, whether that's 1%, 10%, 50%, whatever, his numbers were impacted by Drew Brees. And Terry McLaurin on the, like the opposite end of things has played with a, a mess of quarterbacks, but where they're both similar is they were the 1A, 1B, and 1C options for their quarterbacks. They did not have a ton of talent around them in their respective receiving rooms. So, you know, at times they were, they've been force fed and they've been really productive in that role. But yeah, certainly when you look at ceiling, when those guys were all leaving Ohio State, Garrett Wilson has to be at the top 
when you group him in with those other guys and even, you know, Chris Olave or whoever else you want to throw in there. Yeah, and I do wonder, I think we've talked about this a bit before, but I do wonder if a team looks to do kind of the the Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow thing in the reverse order where, you know, a team that maybe doesn't have the greatest quarterback in the world drafts a guy like Garrett Wilson. And then next year when C.J. Stroud's in there as the 1A or 1B quarterback, goes out and gets him and gets that, you know, that connection back in the NFL like they're doing in Cincinnati. So I am curious if that's, you know, something that people are looking at, something that people are considering if, you know, I know, you know, Garrett Wilson's probably going to be, you know, a top 10, top 12 pick. I imagine he'll be, if not the first wide receiver in the draft, which I think he will be, then definitely the second. Um, So probably one of those teams at the top doesn't have the greatest quarterback in the world. Maybe they could look to do something like that with Stroud in 2023. Yeah, I I think that that is a, a good route to take if that option is available to you. And I know that there are other examples of this because you and I have talked about it before and there's the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase connection but I think about another local team at least for me here in Ohio I look at a team like the Browns and Baker Mayfield's career thus far and I don't know if there were ever any rumors of this happening but like what if the Browns had been in a position to take C.D. Lamb who played with Baker I'm if I'm not mistaken at Oklahoma could his kind of path have been any different versus, you know, the position that he was put in with Jarvis Landry and then Odell Beckham Jr., two guys who were like established vets, both very strong personalities. And I think there was some friction there at times. If he had been matched up with a guy that he was familiar with, would the results have been any different? Who knows? But we have seen it be very successful with Burrow and Chase. So, I I don't know if that's going to be a viable option. You know, neither one of these Ohio State wide receivers is going to fall to the second round when the Chicago Bears pick uh, to to put it together with Justin Fields. But looking forward to next year, if one of these guys goes high, their team struggles, and C.J. Stroud is out there, I think you raise a very interesting question. Yeah, I, I that would be honestly, you know, if the Bears were to trade into the upper first round, uh, they're a team that could certainly use some help on offense, especially at the skill positions, pairing, you know, Justin Fields with all of his former wide receivers and Gary Wilson, Chris Olave would certainly work out. But, um, yeah, I, you know, as of right now, that is not in the cards. Um, I would like to see, you know, do we think that Gary Wilson from day one is going to be – I guess it depends on fit and who takes him, but do we think he has the potential to be a team's wide receiver one from day one, like a Jamar Chase in Cincinnati? Yes, I do. And I think that is because there are a lot of teams in the top half of this year's draft that are in need of a wide receiver. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys, if you have these guys projected, I do, but I look at a team like the Falcons at number eight, Um Calvin Ridley is suspended for the year. They've got Kyle Pitts, who is more wide receiver than tight end, but his technical position is tight end. You know, um, the Jets, I think, even higher. Actually, they have two high picks. I think they're wide receiver needy. So, yeah, I think a lot of it depends on fit. The Texans is another team. They've got Brandon Cooks. They re-upped him, but he's getting a little bit older now. Uh, Yes, my short answer is yes. I do believe that Garrett Wilson could go in and be a number one or at the very least, like a one B I look at Justin Jefferson in Minnesota. I don't know if he's surpassed Adam Thielen yet, but if he hasn't, he's like right on par. I think he's way more talented, but Adam Thielen has put up some crazy numbers in Minnesota. 
at the very least, I think he's a 1B. Yeah, for sure. I haven't I haven't gone in and projected these guys ahead of time, but just looking at the draft order right now, I, I could definitely see him going to the Jets at number 10. They're a team, you know, I, I'm a Giants fan, but I, I have a lot of friends who are Jets fans. I know more about the Jets than I should. Um, they could definitely use some wide receiver help. Um, you know, you look at a team like, like uh, Houston maybe at 13, a team like Washington at 11, kind of pairing him with, you know, a guy that he didn't play with, but a fellow Ohio State player in Terry McLaurin would be a lot of fun. So I do think, you know, I, I think almost certainly we're going to see him go within the top 15. And like you said, there's a lot of uh, teams in that upper echelon of the draft that maybe not upper echelon is not the right word, but the upper half of the, the first round of the draft that could use some wide receiver talent. And if he lands in the right spot, I think he could be their top option from day one. Um, I think he could go number four to the Jets. That's their other high draft pick. And I know it it, it seems a bit crazy on paper, but with all of these wide receivers in this year's draft, like there's going to be a run and there will be a team or two that misses out. So the Jets, they've got two high picks and we've talked about um, the top of this draft, maybe not being as special as it has been in years past. Do they jump the gun on a guy like Garrett Wilson, take him at four and then best player available at 10. I think that that's definitely an option for them. So I could see him going even higher than that. In like as like number four to the Jets, but I actually had him projected as number eight to the Falcons, like I mentioned. Yeah, I don't know. I I think four might be too high for a wide receiver, at least you know a, a Garrett Wilson. Um, I, I think you know if I'm the Jets, I'm taking Kayvon Thibodeau at four and then Wilson at ten. If I could get them both, I think that's a, a good draft strategy. If I'm the GM of the New York Jets, but nonetheless, yeah. I do think he will be. You know, I don't think a top ten selection is is out of the question by any means for. Garrett Wilson, but moving over to his his fellow wide receiver in Chris Olave, a guy that you know came back for another year when he didn't have to. Um, probably the most storied wide receiver in Ohio State history with all the records he's broken. It's kind of tough to explain, but I, I don't think he's quite, you know, he's not quite at Wilson's level. He's obviously very, very good, but he's not quite at Garrett Wilson's level as an NFL prospect. Um, he's a guy that, you know, unlike Gary Wilson, who came in as a five-star, really had to work his way up. He was the number 399 overall player in the 2018 class, the number 68 wide receiver. Uh, the only reason he even ended up at Ohio State was because Ryan Day was going to scout Jack Tuttle in Indiana, and they wound up finding him. Um, and, you know, he had, a, he had put together a fantastic career in Columbus. He really excelled at taking the top off defenses despite not being the fastest, even though he still did run a 4.39.40. He didn't really, you know, put that speed on display a ton. He was just really good at getting open and keeping you know space with the defenders. He's a very smooth receiver. He's got great body control and ball tracking. He was also really good at keeping plays alive when his quarterback had to scramble out of the pocket. So a lot of really good intangibles with Chris Olave, but for whatever reason, and I don't really know how to quantify or how to explain it. He's just not quite the Garrett Wilson when it comes to NFL-like prospect. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and I can't really put my finger on it either. I think that there's just nothing, and I want to keep it PG here. I, I don't know if there's anything sexy about him from a talent perspective, but I, I think he's pretty damn attractive. You know what I mean? So I, I just I think he can do a ton of different things. He's not the most physically imposing wide receiver, but – You've got years of production. He can play off of other guys, right? And so I just, I think he can do a lot of different things. I I don't want to sound too crazy here, but I look at both of these Ohio State wide receivers, actually, and I look at some of the better guys in the NFL. Like, I think both of these guys, they're not the biggest guys in the world. They're not the fastest guys in the world, but Cooper Cup for the Rams. And, and again, like, don't, don't put me on hot takes, but I think that, 
Cooper Cup is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He does a ton of damage out of the slot, but he can play outside. But like, he's just such a technician. And that's what I think about both of these Ohio State wide receivers, even more so Chris Olave. I think the footwork is great. I think they can both get off the line really well. But there's just something that I, I like the the fundamentals and the basics of Chris Olave's game even more than Garrett Wilson. I just think Wilson's the more explosive one. So I'm sort of with you on Chris Olave. I think that he comes in and he's a very good 1B or secondary wide receiver with an even higher ceiling depending on the situation. Yeah, for sure. And I'm looking at, you know, I think Chris Olave is more looking towards the the latter half of the second round with all the other wide receiver talents. I don't know, you know, maybe you think differently. I don't know if him coming back really helped his stock. I don't think it hurt it, but at the same time, you know, having someone else at Ohio State like a Jackson Smith and Jigba really take off last year, I don't think, you know, helped Chris Olave in any way. I think his numbers probably dipped because of the production of a guy like JSN and his, you know, his previous uh, connection with uh, quarterback CJ Stroud. But I still think Olave had a really good year as that three-headed monster at Ohio State. I'm looking at teams like, you know, maybe a New England at 21 or a Green Bay at 22, especially, you know, the Packers looking to replace, uh, you know, the production of Devontae Adams. You have Aaron Rodgers still there pairing Chris Olave with a guy like Aaron Rodgers would be really, really good for them, I think. Um, New England looking for some wide receivers as well. So I think somewhere in that, you know, uh, high 20s uh, is a good spot for Chris Olave. I think he, you know, in another wide receiver class, he'd probably go higher. But with the James Williams, Drake Londons, and Traylon Burks of the world, I think he'll probably go before Burks, but he'll probably go under London and JMO. So I, I think that, you know, somewhere in those early 20s is probably a good landing spot for a guy like Olave. Do you agree? Yeah, but I think I might be a, a bit more of a homer than I realized. I actually pegged him going number 16 to the Saints. Um, New Orleans has a, a very strong Ohio State connection. Granted, Sean Payton is no longer there, but they've got a lot of the same coaches in the room. And uh, I'm looking for a team that could use a, a really nice complementary piece and a guy that they can kind of groom to eventually take over. And so that's why I think Olave would be really good in New Orleans. He could come in, play behind Michael Thomas, compliment him, and then maybe eventually take over as sort of the primary option. So that's the highest I probably have him going, but I would not be the least bit surprised to see him fall back a little bit into the 20s, like you mentioned even the teams you mentioned, I think he would be perfect in New England. I think he would be perfect in Green Bay, even uh, the Chiefs. You know, they're looking to replace Ty, uh, Tyreek Hill. That could be another good landing spot for him. In the, I think they picked 29 and 30, if I'm not mistaken. So in the 20s is probably more likely. But I do think he could creep up the board just a little bit because of a team, you know, that's looking for a second option like New Orleans or even I I saw a mock where he was uh, projected to go 11th to Washington to play with McLaurin. I think that's a little high, but I see the rationale there. Um, You know, McLaurin has struggled a bit at times when teams double him up or just put blank coverage on him. So to give him another guy to run with, I think would be another good option. But I I think Olave is a bona fide first rounder. He just has more, I would say, flexibility when it comes to where he's picked as opposed to Wilson, who I think you and I both agree go quite a bit higher. Yeah, and and I think unlike Garrett Wilson, where I could see him, you know, from the gates almost certainly being a team's wide receiver one, if not one one B to a one A. I think Chris Olave would be better suited, at least in the early stages of his career, as kind of a second option, like you said, you know, maybe to a Tyree McLaurin or to a Michael Thomas. Ironically, both Ohio former Ohio State players, but nonetheless, like realistic landing spots for a guy like Chris Olave, and maybe you know as he gets his feet wet in the league. 
And as he gets accustomed to NFL defense and stuff, I think maybe him being a secondary option would be better for him. And then, you know, maybe, as you said, as his career goes on, he gets, you know, he gets his feet wet and he gets, he knows the league pretty well. Um, I think he'll do quite a good job and he could become a team's, you know, top option later on. But I, I don't know. I just think that Olave maybe not as well suited as Wilson to be a team's wide receiver one from the get-go. I think that might be a little bit of uh, too much pressure on him from the get-go. Um, but I do think that, you know, at some point in the future, we could see both of those guys being, you know, a team's top option and being some of the best wide receivers in the league as Brian Harline continues to, to stockpile his talents for the future with and those two guys kind of leading the way in that regard. I think that's fair. And another thing that I like about Olave, too, is even if he's not, you know, one of your top two wide receivers, I think he could be a really good third. You know, a lot of these teams deploy three and four wide receivers with consistency. And so whether it's right away or it takes him some time, I just like Chris Olave's game. He's a football player. He was a special teams ace early in his career at Ohio State. Um, I I don't know if he's going to be a returner in the league, but I just think he can do a lot of different things. And I think that he will play whatever role is asked of him. So I think he's going to be successful regardless, you know, but it may take eight games into his rookie year, or it might take a couple of years. I don't know, but I have the utmost confidence in him as an NFL wide receiver. Yeah. And that's obviously another thing he has going for him, you know, his special teams prowess. You know, we've seen him do it at Ohio State. I'm sure NFL teams will love to see that on film and another way that they could use Olave at the next level. But, you know, those are two guys that we've heard a ton about. Pretty much all of the Ohio State draft talk has been about Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. So we do want to take some time to talk about uh, the other talented players that Ohio State will be sending to the league this year. Uh, starting off with Nicholas Petit Frere, uh, offensive tackle. Uh- Probably, you know, definitely overshadowed by like the Evan Neals and the Ike McQuanus of the league, but but still a damn good offensive tackle. Listed at six foot five, three hundred fifteen pounds, but is is super athletic and light on his feet for his size. Uh, you know, we constantly saw those graphics where Ohio State's offensive tackles had not allowed a sack in however many games, and Nicholas Petitfrere was a big part of that. Uh, he did he has you know experience going up against some of the best pass rushers in the Big Ten, and he did a solid job in those performances. Um, and he's a guy that I think still has room to improve, but I could certainly see him becoming a multi-year start in the league once he kind of really, you know, forms out his game and becomes, you know, the the polished product. I think he's still kind of raw in that regard because he only he came on late at Ohio State, but I do think he's a really solid prospect and I definitely see him, you know, carving out a really nice career for himself in the league. Yeah, I think he has upside. You you look at his pedigree as a crew as a recruit, he was one of, if not the top offensive tackles coming out of high school. And it's something you and I have talked about the offensive line coaching at Ohio state. Did they get the absolute most out of all these guys? I think you and I both agree that the answer is no. I could see petite free continuing to develop. And I, I just like a lot of different things about his game. I don't think that he is exponentially better in one phase of the game versus the other. I think he can run block. I think he can pass block. I think he has a bit of a reputation as like a finesse guy, but I don't believe that at all. I think he's a bit more of a mauler than people realize. And so I think he's just going to be a a good sound tackle eventually. I I don't know that he's going to be an all pro, but you're right. He just, he doesn't have that, uh, that profile right now of an Evan Neal or uh, the kid from uh, North Carolina state. I can't think of his name right now, but I just he's a guy that I think is going to have a long, productive NFL career. And like right now, if I had to pick a round, I think he's probably a third round guy. Do you think that's a 
fair projection? Yeah, I, I could see him going in the second round, maybe the late second round. I think that there's probably, I think there's about four or five offensive tackles projected to go in the first round. I think NPF is probably, you know, solidly in the second group of offensive tackles. Um, he does have some positional versatility. He doesn't have any, uh, you know, experience at guard, but he did play both tackle spots at Ohio State, both right and left. So, you know, teams could use him in either of those regards. I do think he's better in, in pass blocking than he is in run blocking, but that could obviously improve with some, you know, coaching at the next level and just some time working on that craft. But yeah, I think he's really solid. I think that, you know, there are some obvious holes in his game as there are with any college offensive tackle, but I could certainly see him going in in the second and you know late second early third round as, as one of that you know second group of offensive tackles off the board. I don't think he's quite at the level of some of the guys in the upper upper tier of, of that position. But you know offensive tackle is a position that's very coveted in the in the NFL, and I, I think that a team could get a really solid value with him in, in the in you know the that those earlier middle rounds. Yeah, I think he. I, I look at him in a similar manner to the way I look at Chris Olave. I, I kind of feel like NPF is bust proof. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Again, like I said, I don't know that he's an all pro, but I just I think he's going to be steady. And I think that he has a number of years in the Ohio State program. He's performed well at a high level for a number of years, similar to Chris Olave. So, you know, again, maybe that's just me being a homer, but I think he's going to be really good for a really long time. It, he, he may not become a starter right away, but we've seen at the NFL level, um, linemen go down and these third and fourth and fifth round rookies, especially along the offensive line where like, you know, your speed doesn't set you apart. Your, your size doesn't set you apart that much from other offensive linemen. I think that he'll get into the mix and I think he'll perform well. Yeah, and especially as a guy who isn't, you know, projected as one of those first round talents, a lot less pressure on him to to perform right away. Maybe he grows into a role. And like you said, it's it's tougher to be a bust when you're one of those, you know, sec- I mean, second third rounders could still be bust. But as an offensive tackle with the skill set of of NPF, I'm not super worried about him just completely falling apart at the next level. I don't see that happening. He's a big dude. He's athletic. He's strong. He's you know he's put together a couple good years at Ohio State. So I don't really have a, a ton of worries there. Um, the more wild card I would say of the two tackles. That Ohio State is saying to the league this year is Thayer Munford. Um, another guy like Chris Olave who, who came back for another year when he really didn't have to. He wanted to help the team out. Um, un- unfortunately, he probably did hurt his stock a bit this year by changing to a guard, which, you know, like I said, he was doing as kind of a selfless move to help out Ohio State at a position of need, but he certainly wasn't as better. It wasn't as good as a guard as he was at a tackle. I think if he, you know, depending on what teams look for him at the next level, I think he'd be better suited as a tackle. He is six foot six, three twenty, so definitely more of that tackle size. Um, when he was opposite MPF as a tackle, he was really, really good. Um, his petition, I think that you know that versatility could give him some greater appeal at the next level, even though he wasn't mm-hmm. the best guard, just because he has experience doing it. Teams, you know, like to see that they have a a guard, a, a, you know, a tackle guard combo on their roster that they could slot in for guys if someone goes down. And I think that you know he could play himself into. A to start at the next level. I don't think he's going to start right away, but I think that you know his best shot is for a team that wants him to play tackle, and because I think that's what position he played better at. I agree. I think he was a better tackle. I think that had he come out last year, he was probably more of a second or third rounder, and I have him written down as a fourth rounder. You know, I'm I'm, I'm not an NFL talent scout. Uh, I'm not a, a mock draft expert, but I think he's definitely a middle round guy, and. You know, with him, I think that he is kind of a a swing rotational piece. I think that his versatility and his ability to play both positions, guard and tackle, will serve him well. And so I think that 
at least early in his career, I could see him being a backup, but a backup who plays. You can plug him in for a quarter or for a game or whatever it is at guard or tackle and uh, kind of creates more freedom for yourself along that offensive front. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play either position. I do agree that I, I think he's a better tackle than he is a guard, especially with his height and his length. But guards and tackles, they can be interchangeable in the NFL. I mean, arm Arm length is probably the one deterrent, but Thayer Munford does not have the T-Rex arms. I think he can play tackle. And so I think that's where I see him playing, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was coached up more and with additional experience settles in at a guard. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to compare him to uh, another former Ohio State offensive lineman, um I think he's got a higher ceiling and he's more talented than a guy like Isaiah Prince, who, gosh, I mean, I think he struggled quite a bit at Ohio State, but he has stuck with the Bengals now for a couple of seasons, played guard and tackle. I could see a similar role for Munford, but I think he's a much better player. Yeah, Isaiah Prince was certainly not great in his time in Columbus and has had a much you know better NFL career in, in Cincinnati. You're, you're preaching to the choir yeah. as a Bengals fan. He was the uh, one of the... Uh, the rickety gates in front of Joe Burrow last year. So yeah, not, not exactly what you want, but yeah, I mean, I think there Munford at times was hurt by some of the guys around him. I think that when, you know, when they moved him at guard, they had some struggles at the center position at times. They also had, you know, a younger center there playing, whether it was, you know, Harry Miller or Luke Whippler this past season. I think he was, you know, at times he was trying to help out and kind of look over his shoulder as he was playing guard, which was, you know, all things put fair. together. Yeah. All, all things put together. I don't think he was really put in the most fair positions. And like I said, you know, it was a very, you know, I'm sure teams will like that. He was, was selfless and looked to help his team in whichever way he could even it did wind up hurting his draft stock but like I said I think if he if he goes back to tackle we've seen what he could be a tackle he was very very good for many years at Ohio State I'm not really super concerned I say I think he you know he has more I don't know if you call it bust for a fourth round pick more bust potential than an MPF but I do think that you know in the right system put at the right position I think that he'll be more than suitable as a as an offensive tackle at the next level yeah, I can't poke, poke holes in any of those arguments. I think we're pretty much aligned on him. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to a guy that we both like a lot, and you know, as a guy, you know, a, a fellow Long Island guy, uh, Jeremy Rucker, the tight end. I have a lot of friends back home who are very excited about Ruckert making it to the league. I have a couple of friends that actually went to his high school in Lindenhurst, uh, listed at six foot five, two fifty. Could pretty much do it all as a tight end. I think he was pretty much an, an above average blocker and an incredibly adept pass catcher. We saw more than a, a few occasions him make impressive one handed catches in some of Ohio State's biggest games. Um, he's one of those guys that seems definitely destined to have a better pro career than a college career because of the the nature of the tight end position at Ohio State. Um, I don't know if he's going to quite be the next, you know, uh, Travis. Kelly or, or George Kittle at the next level, but I think he's a very good pass catching tight end. And I think that with the way teams use tight ends in the NFL, I think that Jeremy Rucker, you know, as probably a, a late second to, to mid third round pick somewhere in that range, I think that he's going to have a very, very good professional career. I agree with you. I think that he's going to be very productive at the next level. I think he is just really well-rounded. He's not a burner. He's not the best blocker in the world, but he can do all of those things. He's athletic enough. And if I were to compare him to, again, previous Ohio State tight ends, I think that he is a much better pass catcher than a Jeff Hireman or a Nick Vanette. He might not be the same level of blocker, but the NFL has changed a little bit. They like to put their tight ends out wide and and get them involved in the passing game. So I think that's more his role. I think he will be more productive in the NFL. But 
I also think that he's going to be underdrafted. I think that the, uh, the production in college is not what some teams are looking for, but uh, if they really dig down and, and watch his film, I, they'll be believers. They'll become believers. But the other thing that hurts him is the fact that he was not able to test very much in the pre-draft process. He was banged up. And so we didn't get to see a 40 time from him. We didn't get to see some of the drills. And so I think that's going to work against him. I, I have him falling to the fourth round, but I think he's a second or third round talent. I really believe that if my Bengals who need a tight end, if they were to you know take him in the third, I would be over the moon excited. But I just, the injury thing I think is going to push him down a little bit. So I think a team probably gets a steal in the fourth round if I had to project him. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I do think that he's going to be underdrafted, but but definitely wind up becoming a steal, like you said, because of the injuries that popped up during his, his pre-draft stuff. It's not like he was injured during his Ohio State career. I don't think he ever really missed a game at Ohio State, but he was banged up. And no, really and it's test. not an ACL. It's not anything too crazy but banged up nonetheless, right? Yeah, and between that and the, the stats not being particularly pretty because Ohio State doesn't throw to its tight ends, I think he will be drafted probably lower than he should be. But like we both believe, I, you know, he's he's obviously better than his stats would indicate. He's done it all at Ohio State. He's he's made, he, like you said, he's not the best block in the world, but he's made some really, really nice blocks. You look at a lot of Ohio State's long runs on the season and you'll see a, a, pulling, a pulling Jeremy Rucker making a, a critical block on some of those occasions. So he can definitely do more than get the job done. And, and you know, the NFL today, we've seen a lot of these guys coming out recently that are more of these pure pass catchers and, and what some teams want to see, whereas Jeremy Rucker could probably catch the ball just as well as those guys, but he could also, he's a little bit bigger and he could block a little bit better than those guys. So it's not like it's just what some of these teams are doing and putting like a glorified big wide receiver at tight end. I think Jeremy Rucker is still very much a tight end, but a very good pass catching one at that. Gene, how excited would you be? You know, the Long Island ties, your favorite NFL football team just lost Evan Ingram. Uh, pass catching tight end. Like, how excited would you be if Jeremy Ruckert ends up on the Giants? Oh, that'd be awesome. As someone who had to suffer through watching Evan Ingram play football for the last few years, having a tight end that isn't going to directly lead to interceptions every time the ball is thrown his way would certainly be a welcome <laughs> addition. But yeah, I mean, I'd love, I think Jeremy Ruckert landing on the Jets of the Giants would be a, a lot of fun for a lot of people. I think it'd be cool to see. I think he was one of the highest rated prospects out of New York in, in recent memory. So having him come home would be great. But, you know, like like we both said, I think he's going to be undervalued, but he's going to overperform what his what his draft would uh, would say about him. Undervalued and he'll over deliver. I agree. Love it. So we will round out here our, our draft talk with the two Ohio State defensive linemen in this year's class, the first of which being Haskell Garrett. Uh, obviously has the incredible story of, of surviving a gunshot wound to the face and then returning for the start of the regular season. Uh, you know, I, I read a story the other day when I was writing about Haskell Garrett for our, our Your Nuts column this week that, you know, they talked to Kerry Combs and, and Kerry Combs didn't think that he would ever play football again. And then here you have him, you know, starting the first game of the season and playing the whole year after suffering such a horrific, uh, you know, freak injury. Um, in terms of his on-field injuries, you know, they have kind of stunted his growth a bit. You know, at, at six foot one, two ninety-eight, he's been a really, really good three-tech for Ohio State when he was on the field. Uh, he was always, you know, he, it's it's hard to stand out as a defensive tackle, but he was one of those guys that really did stand out in the middle of that defensive line. He was really good at both getting to the quarterback and making plays in the run game. He's a really excellent athlete for his size. He's a high motor guy. He could excel in the right system at the next level. He really just needs to stay healthy. Yeah, I um. Gosh, I, Haskell Garrett's a dude. Don't get me wrong. I love Haskell Garrett. I love what he did for Ohio State and for the Buckeyes. I just, 
he's undersized to me. He's uh, too slow for me. I, I think he could be a rotational piece, but talking about six one, three hundred pounds, those guys do not make much of an impact unless their name is Aaron Donald. And Haskell Garrett is not Aaron Donald um, at that size and with that physical makeup. So. I think he's going to be a hell of a teammate and and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he works himself into a rotation and he does some really good things along the offensive line. You know, I, he is a disruptive guy and I really like his hands. I think he has strong, quick hands, but I just, I didn't see enough of an impact from him for Ohio state in his senior year to really give me a, a whole lot of hope for him at the next level. But again, I, I hope that I'm wrong. I, I like everything about him as a person and his work ethic and his toughness, obviously coming back from the gunshot wound that he suffered. But I think there are a lot of things working against him. He's going to have to get by on effort and football IQ, both of which I think are are through the roof for him, but his his physical makeup is not great. Yeah, I I think that's entirely fair. And I I think he did kind of take a step back in his, his final season. And I do think injuries played a large part in that, but we didn't quite see the same, you know, the, the Haskell, the rascal that we had seen the, the year prior. So it is, it is kind of be a tough, you and I both said like, he didn't seem healthy all year. I think he played through a lot. So I don't know if we saw him healthy, after last season. Yeah, it seemed like he was on a snap count pretty much all year. I don't think we ever really got to see the full extent of what Haskell Garrett could do, but we knew what was in there. You know, the games he played good, you know, we, we saw what he could possibly do. And so if he could play up to that potential and, and, you know, stay fully healthy and show out the way that we've seen him show out at times, he could be a really good player at the next level. But like you, I think he is probably more of a rotational guy. Um, I don't know if he's going to be someone's star defensive tackle. He's certainly not Aaron Donald, even though I don't think anybody is. But, you know, I, I think he could be, you know, a solid rotational piece on the the middle of someone's defensive line we see you know a lot of those defensive tackles these days in the NFL are pretty interchangeable unless you're like a really like a guy like Aaron Donald where you really stand out um it's tough to do so at that position not a real glamour spot on the defensive line so it'll be interesting to see how his career plays out but we're obviously you know he's sort of an Ohio State legend after what he did that year he got to wear the you know the number zero and all that so I I think that Haskell Garrett will will be a fine addition like you said to at the very least he'll be a fine addition to someone's locker room. For sure. He's going to be a locker room guy day in and day out. And I hope that he just gets a a chance. I think that if he gets a chance, even if it's on special teams or or whatever, I think that he's going to give his all. We saw that throughout the entirety of his Ohio State career. Like I said, there are some things working against him, but the mentality is there and certain traits are there. He just has to put it all together stay healthy, and then learn from high-level coaching. Yeah, for sure. I don't think you'll ever have to question his his effort at any point in his career. But that being said, it brings us to the final player, the final Ohio State draftee, or draftee hopeful, I should say, uh, in this year's class for Ohio State, and that is Tyreek Smith, who I would don as the, the king of the almost sack during his time at Ohio State. He had some really, really big games for Ohio State, most notably the one against Clemson. He's, he's a freak athlete at 6'4", 265. He moves incredibly well for his size, um, and he's really just he's an interesting prospect who you know it's a guy who had flashes of stardom and his pressure rates didn't always yield results but I think he could surprise people if he could find just some form of consistency because at times Tyreek Smith at Ohio State looked completely unblockable but you know he was another guy who kind of battled injuries throughout his Ohio State career and like I said he just he seemed like he was always like one step away from getting the sack but never quite got there and if he could just find some consistency he seems like he does everything pretty well and he's just like he's like I said he's a really good athlete. So 
I'm very interested to see where he gets taken and like how his career unfolds because he just he it seems like it's all there. He just can't quite he had never quite put it together at Ohio State. And you don't have to convince me. You're preaching to the choir. I think that Tyreek Smith, similar to Jeremy Rucker, but not entirely. I think he's going to be underdrafted, and I think that he will over-deliver because I think, again, you go back to traits, I think it's all there. Like you said, it's a matter of putting it together, but I look at him as a guy like he's got um, like a certain elasticity. I think he's got some bend going around the edge, so I think that he can play in a 4-3 or a 3-4. I'm not going to say he's an outside linebacker by any means, but I think he can be a situational possibly stand up pass rusher. So, and I think that he's probably faster than he is quick, but again, he he's got certain moments where he comes across as very twitchy. He puts some really good games on film. And uh, again, I go back to like elasticity or bend. You can't always teach that. The best example is Von Miller, right? Von Miller is like Gumby out there coming off the edge. And I don't think Tyreek Smith, he's nowhere near a Von Miller level player, but he, he can bend, he can get around the edge. And if he gets his hands on you first, he's got some big old hands on him and some long arms. So I think that he can use both of those things to his advantage. He just needs to be less erratic and more consistent, but I think he can find a way to do that. I think with proper coaching and enough playing time, you know, that's another thing at Ohio state. He was constantly rotating with other guys and played behind other guys early in his career where he didn't get quite the opportunity. So he could be another sleeper for me, you know, sub four, nine guy. It's not lighting the world on fire, but I think he's fast enough. And I think he can do some things if he's given a chance. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, you know, we've seen how past Larry Johnson disciples have done in the league, not to say that Tyreek Smith is going to be. Yeah, the coaching. I mean, that's a huge advantage. Not to be anywhere near, you know, the level of a Chase Young or the Bosa brothers. But we've seen that, you know, the guys that are productive at Ohio State and the guys that we think have promise at Ohio State and get to learn from Larry Johnson in their time in Columbus, they go on to have pretty successful NFL careers. So like you said, maybe it's another situation like a Jeremy Rucker where he just didn't play a ton. He didn't really put a ton of stats on the board, but he gets to the next level and he's able to really show out as a team you know, stand up defensive end, kind of like you said, there were instances in his Ohio State career where he played a little bit of that drop back edge sort of guy. And even though Ohio State doesn't do that a ton, or at least didn't under the previous regime, um, I do think that Tyreek Smith is a really interesting prospect. And I do think he'll probably be, he might be the last one off the board for Ohio State. Maybe he'll go before Haskell Garrett. I could probably, I could see either of those guys flip-flopping somewhere between, you know, the third and fifth rounds. But I do think that, you know, I think he'll be a pleasant surprise for a team because like you said, he has, he has a lot of the intangibles that you can't coach. So if you could just get him just a bit further in the, on the coaching aspect and get him into the right system, I think he could really be a good player. Intangibles is another thing that I don't know if we brought it up enough with all of these guys, the Ohio State draftees or uh, the candidates to be drafted. There are no character concerns. If anything, there is uh, you know everything to the contrary. These are all stand-up dudes. Um, they're not one-year wonders per se. And they always did things the right way. And I think that they were coached up the right way. So for all of these guys, that's going to be a big advantage. Even a guy, even Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, right? Like they're going to be drafted very high, but then they can also lean back on their past learnings. They got to learn from a Brian Hartline and a Ryan Day. So I think that will be another built-in advantage for them over some other guys who Maybe they're athletic freaks, or maybe they had a 12, 13 sack season, 
but they did it at a lower level or they did it in a small sample size or they just had, you know, a, a crazy six game stretch. Some of these Ohio State guys were more consistent, but under the radar at the same time, with the exception of probably Tyreek Smith, who was arguably the most erratic. But I, I just think intangibles will play a big factor in all of these guys' future success. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a really good point to bring up. You know, these guys all have multiple years on film. None of them just had one good season that that shot them off the draft boards. You know, they none of them have off-field character issues that we, we've seen. Like in seven banks. Like yeah. I look at seven banks. He was a projected first rounder, um, according to some people, before last season. Had he come out, I, he probably would have been a bust. And maybe he can salvage his career and have another good season at LSU. But none of these guys are on the level. Or, or similar in kind of their career trajectory that Seven Banks was. So I use that as kind of my reference point. Yeah, and, you know, they, they all seem like, you know, from what we've seen all over their years at Ohio State, they all seem like pretty good dudes. You know, you'll, you'll, occasionally you'll have those highly regarded prospects, but they're kind of an asshole off the field. Um, yeah. but, like, but even guys like and even guys like Wilson and Olave, who have been, you know, these stars at Ohio State for years now, they're, they're pretty humble dudes. Like, they're never really showing out. Mm-hmm. They're never really flashy. I mean, Garrett Wilson, a little bit more, I'd say, than Chris Olave, but nothing that's, like, concerning. It's just because He's he's that good, and he could do that when you're that good. But both of them, pretty really humble guys. Always, you know, never taking credit for a team's win. Always, you know, shouting out their teammates and then their quarterback and everything, all of that good nature. So, you know, all in all, I think that that's all stuff that if you're an NFL GM, you want to see from these dudes. You want to see that they're good teammates. You want to see that they're good dudes. You want to see that they're good players on the field. And I think that all these guys have those characteristics you're looking for. And so I'm excited to see what happens in this year's draft. I'm excited to see where these guys end up. And, you know, we hope that they get to continue their careers, make the big bucks and, and have fantastic careers in the NFL. For sure. And to your point, GMs know this at this point about Ohio state players. They might not have, might not have a hundred percent hit rate. And there have been some guys like Damon Arnett. I'm not going to get too far into it that have, run into some things from time to time. But for the most part, um, they, they saw how this program has sort of developed talent and they put forth the most NFL talent from their college program, more than in Alabama, more than anybody else when you're looking at pure numbers. So your NFL talent evaluators, they know that too. They're not dummies. They're a hell of a lot smarter than you or I. So at the end of the day, I think that all of these former Buckeyes are going to go exactly where they should go. Yeah, I, I think having that block O next to your name on the, on the draft board certainly helps your stock in that regard. But uh, Josh, anything else that you wanted to, to say about this year's draft before we head out of there? And, uh, you know, this, this today being Wednesday, quote unquote, uh, you know, we're, we're preparing for tomorrow's draft. No, did I say I was excited? Because if I didn't, I'm super excited. Even if there aren't the, the highest profile guys in this draft, It is one of my favorite sporting events of the year. I'll be watching until they announce Mr. Irrelevant on Saturday. So, um, and I actually looked at tickets to go to this. Don't because they're not affordable, but one day I will go to one of these in person and it's just a, it's a great event. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's probably a cool experience. Any, uh, any prediction as to who the Bengals are going to select in this year's NFL draft? I, I don't have a great, prediction just because I think that the Bengals are in a position to take the best player available. I mean, they have needs. They need more help along the offensive line. They could use help in the secondary, but picking 31st, I think they can let the players and the board fall to them. And I could even see them trading back 
into the early second because those NFL teams, they want that additional year. They want that fifth year that comes along with the first round pick. So, um, you know, I, I guess the best thing I can say is that I, I don't think I can be disappointed. And that has certainly happened in years past. So uh, with my Bengals, so no, no great predictions. I, I think if I had to go towards one position, I'd like to see them shore up the secondary. Um, speaking of Ohio State and former Buckeyes, I am not in the Eli Apple hive. I think he can give you good stretches and he'll let you know about them, but he can also get burnt, which we saw in, in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl. So I don't know. I, I think I'd like to see them go after a corner, a guy like Andrew Booth or somebody from Clemson. But uh, I don't know. How about your Giants? Before we get off here, I got to turn it around. Well, as the team that formerly drafted Eli Apple, I can tell you that I'm not particularly excited about the Giants' abilities to draft. Uh, we did get rid of uh, Dave Gettleman, so hopefully we actually pick a good player this year. Uh, I imagine we're probably going to take, you know, we have two very early first-round picks because the team's been bad for so long, um, but I imagine we're going to take offensive linemen with both of them. Uh, nothing exciting. It's kind of, you know, obviously it's it's a need, but it's not it's not always super exciting when you have like a top two top 15 picks and both of them are probably going to be offensive linemen. Uh, I don't really know. I don't know. They need everything. They're a bad team. I'm not, I, I haven't been excited. The Giants have an ability to take players too early and, and they not pan out. I don't remember the last first. I have pick. kind of a crazy question for you since yeah. we're on the topic, because I saw that the Giants are looking to potentially trade Darius Slayton and or Kadarius Tony. And they, they already had a very bloated wide receiver room, but correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's a super talent. Kenny Galladay woefully underperformed. I mean, would you be shocked or disappointed if they went after a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave? I mean, I'd be surprised just because, like you said, they have so many wide receivers. I mean, under, you know, Jason Garrett didn't know that a forward pass was legal, so we didn't (laughs) throw to any of those wide receivers per se. But um, I really like Darius Slayton. Kadarius Tony didn't really play a ton, but I I know if they're going to trade their last year's first round pick for a third round pick this year, that seems kind of dumb to me. But, you know, they've they've done dumber things in the past. But yeah, before I get on a tangent about the Giants and their draft, I'd be surprised if they took either the wide receivers. I mean, I'd love to have them, but it's just not not a room that we're looking to fill right now. Now, uh, but yeah, uh, not super, not super uh, high on the Giants' ability to take good players. But I guess we'll see what happens, and I'm excited to see you know where the Ohio State players go because you know Ohio State is the good football team I root for, not the Giants. There you go. I, I think that even with a couple high draft picks, I think you have reason to be excited. I have reason to not be disappointed. So, in addition to everything else, I think you and I can both look for some positives in this upcoming draft. Should be a fun night, so be sure to, uh, I'm sure we'll have a ton of content over at Land Grant Homeland with draft stuff and all that good happening this week, and we'll also keep you up to date on all the latest on the, you know, the current Ohio State football team as well as the basketball team moving forward this offseason. So be sure to check us out at LandGrantHomeland.com for all of our written content, and uh, for, you know, be sure to like, rate, if you subscribe, all that good stuff you do with the podcast. And for Josh Julia, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks.